Hebrews chapter 3, and just consider the importance of Christian community uh, within our fellowship here at Orangeville Baptist Church. So we're looking at Hebrews chapter 3, uh, verses 12 through 14. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. And God's word says to us, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. And this is the reading of God's good and perfect and holy word. All God's people say, amen. Amen. So this morning, I want to talk about our church culture, our church atmosphere. Every every church has a culture. Every church has an atmosphere. Every every church has that that something (laughs) when when you walk through the doors. And specifically, uh, what I want to reference this morning is, is how we engage each other in conversation, how we uh, can be involved in each other's lives. I, I want to talk about, from, from Hebrews 3, 12 through 14, how every single one of us, how it, it is imperative that we must be having sin-killing, faith-building conversation and exhortation. And that is imperative, it's not optional, it's not at our convenience, for as, as our text, I believe, makes very plain, the spiritual welfare of your brother or sister in Christ depends on those kinds of conversations. That your spiritual welfare depends on mutual exhortation, sin-killing, faith-building conversations, because perseverance in the faith, which is a big part of what our text is about, hinges upon this rich mutual exhortations. That, that's the kind of atmosphere that we want and must have here at Orangeville Baptist Church. And I believe this is one of the greatest callings of, uh, on, on our lives as Christians. This, this calling is great privilege to be exhorting and encouraging one another. This, this is why Christian friendship exists this is why we have the preaching of God's word. This, this is why we have growth groups, or a word for small groups. This is why we have biblical counseling. This is why we have coffee and connect after church on Sunday, not just another place to kind of talk and gab, but hopefully it's a means to an end of having true biblical fellowship in Christ. This is why marriages exist for husbands and wives to sharpen each other and, and exhort one another in Christ. This is why God makes us moms and dads with our children uh, to have faith-building and sin-killing conversations with them. The Bible teaches that thriving in a life of faith depends upon Christians intentionally building each other up in this way and that without this, this kind of exhortation, we flag in our zeal. Without this kind of exhortation, We drift from God. Without this exhortation, our our text says, we even become hardened by the deceitfulness 
of sin. So to say it very, very plainly, the atmosphere I want here and, and the mission we're driving towards here is that every one of us here needs to understand that you are expected to minister to one another. Everyone here by faith in Jesus Christ is a disciple. And as a disciple, you are expected to be making disciples, to be active in discipleship. Every single one of us, to put it this way, should be able to lead a lost person to faith in Christ. Every single one of of us in here who professes the name of Christ should be able to help a new believer in Christ grow in their faith. Every single one of us here who professes faith in Christ should be able to help a Christian who is struggling and come alongside them and encourage them in their walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that that's not just my job. That falls on every single one of you who are here this morning who love the Lord Jesus Christ. It's vital that we all do that. It is vital that we all be involved in the spiritual lives of one another. Let's see that from the text. Point number one this morning is guard your heart. Guard your heart to the danger of the slow fade. And we see that in verse 12 and verse 14. But verse 12 begins with, take care. Take care, brothers. And that's introducing an urgent warning. It's saying, look, be on guard. And note that he says, brothers. Uh, so he's speaking to professing Christians, And the urgent warning that is being brought upon those who profess faith in Christ is is we must watch out for something. And what we must watch out for, it says, is lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. Notice how broad that is? Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. You know, unbelief is the worst of sins. Honestly, it's at the heart of every sin. I don't know if you've thought about that before, but if you read Genesis 3, where the serpent, that is Satan, tempts Adam and Eve, the temptation there is unbelief, that they would not believe the solid promise of God's word. And so the serpent says to Eve, did God really say? Unbelief. And so Adam and Eve act in unbelief. Belief. They did not believe God's word, and that led to their selfish rebellion. The Lord Jesus in his earthly ministry in John chapter 16, verses 8 and 9, promises that when the Holy Spirit comes, he will do this, quote, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And notice what he says. He says, concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Did you ever catch that before? Sin because they do not believe in me. The root of all sin is unbelief. In fact, the reason why you ever sin is unbelief. If if we always believed God, we would never sin. If we always believed his word and his promises and his character, we would never sin against him. Now notice in our text that this sinful, unbelieving heart If it goes unchecked, it says in verse 12 that it ultimately goes this way. It leads you away, leads you to fall away from the living God. The Greek word behind leading away is the word from which we get the word apostasy. 
apostasy. What's an apostate? An apostate is someone who has made a profession of faith in Christ. An apostate is someone who made that profession in faith in Christ but is now turning away from it and quite frankly doesn't care at all about much of the things of the Lord anymore. At, at one time they sat in the church, they, they heard the ministry of the word, they even made expressions of appreciation for it, but now they've departed from it. They've de-apostized from it. It's, that's what it is to be an apostate. <laughs> And sadly, there are countless illustrations of this, and, and even in my own life, this, this over Christmas break, I discovered that the wife of a, a, a long friend of mine uh, has apostatized. Uh, she's totally given up on it and says it's not true and never believed any of it. It was shocking to discover, and my heart breaks for my friend and for her, and I'm, I'm sure many of us in this room know others sadly, who've done that. And you ask, how does that happen? I think verse 14 sheds light here. Well, 13 and 14. 13 says, exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And with verse 13, we're we're giving uh, something of an anatomy of sin. And the first thing we see about sin in verse 13 is that sin is persistent. It says exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today. So every day we need this kind of exhortation because sin is active. Sin is always at work. Sin is persistent. It's a daily threat. Sin never lets up. Sin never takes a vacation. Sin never hits the snooze button. Sin always attacks. It doesn't care if you're tired doesn't care if you're having a great day or a bad day. Sin doesn't care. Sin is persistent. It's always on the move, always seeking to to throw you down, to to subvert you. Secondly, we see that sin deceives. Because verse 13 says, and none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Now, do you guys know this? Who is the first person that sin deceives? It's you, right? It's you, You're the first person that sin blinds, the first person that sin deceives. That and that alone is reason enough for Christian fellowship, why we need each other. Sin darkens our understanding. Sin makes us fools. Sin makes us believe the promises of pleasure that come from sin instead of the promises of obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. Sin deceives us so much that we can be walking in sin and think that we're walking in obedience to God. That's scary to think about, but sin does that. The third thing we see about sin is that it hardens. It's, it's persistent. Uh, it never gives up. It's always seeking to deceive us. And when it does successfully deceive us, it hardens our hearts. It forms a callus over your hearts. It makes them hard. The first time we sin, it hurts. We're convicted. The second time we sin... It still hurts, but not so much. And before we know it, we can sin with impunity. And it doesn't hurt at all. The calluses are hearts. And if one never repents, if one keeps going further and further away from the Lord, our scriptures teach us that that person will apostatize. That person will renounce the faith. And that person will bring much harm to the cause of Christ. And in doing so, please hear this carefully, in doing so, they prove, 
that they were never part of the faith to begin with. So please, I hope you heard me carefully with that. There's a lot of bad teaching out there over this. If someone apostatizes, if someone renounces their faith, it is not that they have lost their salvation. That's impossible. That's a whole other sermon. But if someone apostatizes, it's because that someone was never truly part of the faith. That's the importance of verse 14. Verse 14 says, for, notice the connection, for, that's a strong connection to verse 13 and 12, we have come to share in Christ. If indeed we do what? We hold our original confidence firm to the what? To the end. Verse 14 is teaching what Christians have, through the ages have taught has been called the perseverance of the saints. True believers in Christ persevere. True believers in Christ hold firm to their original confession in Christ. True, true, true believers never forsake their faith in him for salvation. Now don't mishear that. For sure, as Christians, we stumble. We stumble every week. True Christians stumble. Read, read the Old Testament and the New Testament. Believers stumble. But true Christians do not cease to trust in the shed blood of Jesus as the only means of their salvation. They may wrestle with doubt. Again, they may struggle. But in the long run, they do not reject it. So, so please hear me. What, I, what I'm trying to help you see is this, that these, these verses, verses 12, 13, and 14, are, are not meant to unsettle sincere Christians who are fighting the good fight against faith. And I say that because I know that there are some in our midst who, who struggle with assurance, and, and, and you struggle with, with your walk with the Lord, and often are prone to doubt your salvation. So let me say it again. These verses are not meant to unsettle sincere Christians who are engaged in the good fight against sin. I've spoken with lots of Christians who, who struggle with, with sin, and because of that struggle with sin, they do what? They doubt their salvation. Maybe that's you this morning. If that is you this morning, let, let me try and encourage you. The fact that you are fighting against sin deeply encourages me. And it should deeply encourage you. The fact that you are fighting against sin tells me you are alive in Christ and no longer dead in sin. Dead in sin, individuals who don't have faith in Christ, they don't fight the good fight, right? Because they're dead. They're not alive to that fight. They're dead in sins and trespasses. So the fact that you are in a fight against sin is not a sign that you are not a Christian. I would argue it's a sign that you are a Christian. There would be no fight in you if you were not made alive by the Holy Spirit. So I hope, I hope that encourages you. The Christian life is a fight. It's a labor. It's a toil. It's a struggle against sin and temptation. So again, Hebrews 3, these verses are not meant to unsettle sincere Christians fighting the good fight of faith. What Hebrews 3 is aimed at is those who profess with their lips faith in Christ, but have been slowly turning their back on Jesus over time, maybe for weeks or months or even years, and are prone to leave God forever. 
That's, that's who he's aiming at. And maybe that's you this morning. Could it be that you've been progressing towards heart-heartedness? Could it be there are subtle places where sin is taking root in your heart? Again, sin is deceptive, and who does it deceive first? It, it deserves you, it, it, it deceives me. So we need to take this warning seriously. None of us should sit here and think, well, that's not me. And I have been praying that the Spirit would be moving, and perhaps right now the Spirit is removing the calluses of your heart. Perhaps right now the Spirit is beginning to, to enlighten your eyes, and you're realizing that you have been slowly fading. You, you have been turning your back little by little for over months or, or weeks or even years, and you've been making sinful, foolish choices, and you've gone from on fire to Christ to cold for Christ when it, when it comes to Jesus, and you're in danger, and, and you need to take care. That's what this verse is saying, right? Verse 12. Take care, brothers. Take care. Watch out. Be on the alert. And if that's you, I, I'm so glad you're here. And again, I've prayed for you. Please don't think to yourself in your heart of hearts right now that, you know, I, I, I'm just going to pursue things a little, bit, a little bit longer. Please don't think that. Hear his voice. Hear God's voice to you right now when it says, today as you have opportunity, do not harden your hearts. Today, right now, today. Don't, don't think to yourself, I'll wait till tomorrow. That might never come. Don't, don't think to yourself, I'll wait till tomorrow because maybe tomorrow your heart will go harder. And again, maybe right now the Spirit's working on your heart, is softening your heart. Don't think, I'm going to wait 10 minutes or I'm going to wait 10 hours before I do something about this. No, strike now, act now, because again, your heart might harden in 10 minutes. Today, if you hear his voice, repent. Today, if you hear his voice, call upon him. The Lord never rejects any who come to him in humble faith and repentance. Come to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's your salvation. He is your help. He is your hope. See him. And for each one of us, regardless of where you are in your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, for each one of us, I, I hope this verse, these passages are causing each one of us to cry out some, something like this. Oh, please, God, give me a heart-rending hatred of sin. Are you feeling that in your heart right now as you read these verses? As, as, as you see how sin is persistent, sin deceives you, sin hardens your heart if, if it goes unchecked, shouldn't we all be right now crying out to God in our heart of hearts, oh, please, God, don't let that be me. Oh, oh, please, God, give me a heart-rending hatred of sin. Help me to see it for what it is. Help me not to play with it. Keep me from its deceiving ways, its hardening ways. Cleanse me, O oh Lord, that I may serve you aright. Is that your heart's prayer this morning? I, I hope you're praying that right now. hope we all are. Which leads to the second point. Not only must we guard our hearts, we must gather together 
the duty of exhortation that's, that's found in verse 13. So the, the question goes something like this. If, if sin is so persistent, if sin is so deceiving, if sin hardens our hearts the way that it does, what, what do we do? How do we, how do we persevere? How, how do we keep ourselves from going hot to cold? How do we keep the fire burning? How, how do we guard against this, this sinful, evil, unbelieving heart? How do we take care? And verse 13 is the answer. It's the answer. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You, you see what it's saying? Verse 12 warns you, take care, lest you have this kind of heart. Then verse 13, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to exhort one another every day. See the importance on Christian fellowship? The importance of Christian community. The reality of the persistent, deceptive, hardening power of sin should lead each one of us to seek out and participate in Christian fellowship. It won't do to live in isolation. It also won't do to have this kind of glib, superficial conversations about our week, about the politics, about the weather and, and sports and, and, and those kind of things. Brothers and sisters in Christ, Christ has redeemed us. He has saved us from the curse of the law. He has uh, redeemed us from sin. He has conquered the grave. He has defeated sin and Satan and death. He's given us his spirit to convict and to guide us. He's given his word to revive and sustain us. We have better things to talk about than sports and the weather and those kind of things as we gather on Sunday mornings or anywhere we gather. We have way better things to talk about. Amen? Anyone, anywhere can have conversations about the weather. Our fellowship should be sin-killing and faith-building. Like I said last week, from the moment we wake up, the battle is on, and conversations about who won or lost the latest game, as fun as that might be, that doesn't help me kill sin it might actually even encourage it. The battle's on. Do our conversations reflect that? And don't get me wrong, there's, there's nothing wrong with talking about those things and, and having uh, those, those fun conversations, but it has to be more than that. Remember Cain's question to, to God, am I my brother's keeper? You know what God's answer to that is? Emphatically, yes. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes. Am I my sister's keeper? Yes. You are responsible to help your struggling sister in Christ. You are responsible to help your struggling brother in Christ, according to our text. We're not allowed to keep our distance. If you see your brother or sister in Christ struggling with sin, deceived by sin, we shouldn't just shrug it off, because that's not obeying the Scriptures. The spiritual health and well-being of every member of our church is the responsibility of every member of our church. We are a body. I love how Romans 12 says we belong to one another. We are to care for each other. I'm just going to put a point blank like this. If, if you think you can come to Orangeville Baptist Church and mind your own business and spiritual matters and be left alone, you are in the wrong church. I say that with all the love in the world. <laughs> If you're looking for that kind of church, you are looking for the wrong kind of church. And that doesn't mean uh, as a church that we're a bunch of bullies and we're going to make you spill your guts. <laughs> you're going to sit there until you spill your guts. 
We're not, we're not doing that. We're not, we're not talking about that. We do believe in grace. But we are serious about growth in Christ. And that's what God's grace is about, is your growth in Christ. We're serious about being on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ, and that happens through mutual exhortation. So if you're caught in sin or struggling in sin, again, I want to say this is a great place to be because we're not surprised by sin. We expect it, and we know this can help you overcome it. And that's what Hebrews 3, 12 to 14 is talking about. We can help you carry your burdens. We can help you fight the good fight. Flip, flip over to Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. You, you had to know I'd be going here with everything I'm saying. I'm, I'm sure these verses have been echoing in your mind. <clears throat> Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Uh, these verses are, are kind of the, the positive way of stating the negative in Hebrews 3. <clears throat> so Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Actually, I'll start in verse 23. It says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without unwavering, for he who promised is faithful. Then verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and catch how it ends, all the more as you see the day, that's the Lord's return, drawing near. So the the closer we get to the second coming of Christ, the more we ought to meet together and the more we ought to love and encourage each other to hold fast and not be swerving. And and according to numerous biblical texts, the end of the age will bring with it increasing chaos. It will bring with it increasing temptation and deceit and persecution and threats and trials and hardships. As we approach the the day of Christ's return, there will be more and more trouble. And I hardly need to say this to you, if, if you're watching the news, you will see the increasing decay of our nation and our people morally, spiritually, politically, economically. If the crazy events of this past week have done anything for you, it should be this. These cra- the crazy things happening in our nation, in our world, should cause you to say deep in your soul, I am done with casual Christianity. Amen? I'm done with it. I'm done with milk toast Christianity. I'm, I'm, I'm done with feel-good Reader's Digest sermons that offend no one. No more sermonettes. I'm done with superficial conversations that don't help build my faith. We're in a war against Satan and sin and the flesh. We're, we are in enemy territory. You realize that? We're in enemy territory. Millions of lives are in the balance. The danger of hard hearts, deception, unbelief, and the slow fade, that danger is everywhere. So I hope that we all would say deep in our hearts, I don't have time for anything less than fellowship that is sin-killing and faith-building. I hope we would all say that. That's why Hebrews 3.12 says, take care. And Hebrews 10.24 says, consider, which is to say, give it a lot of thought. We're diligent, not just to kill time or, or hang out. There's, there's too much at stake to waste our time and energy on things that won't help us love better. Jesus is coming. Sin is out to deceive and to harden. We're in enemy territory. So I'm going to exhort and be exhorted. I'm going to encourage and be encouraged. I, I need to speak the truth in love and, and humbly receive it when others speak the truth to me. I need someone to keep an eye on me spiritually because without it, I drift, I fade. 
The word in Hebrews 10, 24, if you're, if, if you're still there, where it says, stir up. Actually, it can be translated stir up. ESV does translate it stir up. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds. It can also be translated irritate <laughs> or stimulate. So the thought occurred to me as I was kind of thinking through this a little bit more on whatever day that was, Thursday or Friday, we're getting this $600 stimulus. It's supposed to stimulate the economy. What we need more than a $600 stimulus is we need spiritual stimulus. And that comes through the fellowship of brothers and sisters in Christ who love each other enough to speak the truth and love to them, to exhort them daily. Or like I said, it can be translated irritating. What we need is irritating Christianity. (laughs) I know that sounds funny, but that's what we need. We need Christians who will irritate us in the right way to be more like Christ. And by irritating, I don't mean annoying. Irritating, but propelling you forward. Encouraging you to move forward in your walk with Christ. We need to refuse to avoid difficult conversations, awkward conversations, that God intends to move us forward in Christ. This is the cry and heartbeat of Hebrews 3 and Hebrews 10. Don't you love it? Don't you long for this kind of community? This kind of atmosphere? I mean, I'll be honest, I do and I don't. Because there's still that nature within me that doesn't want you to know the real me. Because sin deceives, doesn't it? We all have our fig leaves that we're hiding behind. So it's kind of community that spiritually, man, we long for, we want it, but it's hard. But if we're serious about Christ, if your heartfelt ambition is, I want to be like Jesus, I want to be as, as glorifying to him as I can be on this side of the earth, then we need this kind of fellowship. And you will endure difficult and awkward and hard conversations if that means you'll be more like Christ because of it. <clears throat> it's really quite remarkable. And maybe you're sitting there saying, we, we do long for this kind of community. That's why, you hire, that's why we hired you, Pastor Andrew. <laughs> you're right and you're wrong. You're, you're right. You, you, you did hire me for that, for sure. Uh, <clears throat> and I'm glad to do that. I would do that whether you hired me to do it or not, quite frankly. Of course, I say that, and I realize we have a budget meeting coming up, so disregard that, trustees, who just... Who just <laughs> but you're, you're wrong in the sense that what our text says is that we're all called to do this. We're all called to love each other this way. We're all called to exhort one another this way. So how are we going to have this kind of community? Well, for starters, it all begins where we started last week, Psalms 1. We need to be people of the Word. We need to be digging deep into God's Word, studying it, meditating it, memorizing it as much as we can. Because otherwise, if we're not meditating on God's Word, if we're not Psalms 1 kind of people, then when we open our mouths, we're not speaking biblical truth, right? So how are we going to have this kind of community? Number one is, like I said to you last week, you need to be so saturated in this that if I was to prick you, you would bleed Bible. Bleed Bible. But the second way this is going to happen is exactly by that, us opening up our mouths and speaking the truth in love to one another. And again, just to point it out and make it clear, Hebrews 3.13 says we need to do this how often? Daily. Every day, not just once a week. Daily. Sin is persistent. 
Sin is out to deceive and harden. So what you need, what I need, is this daily exhortation from brothers and sisters in Christ. If you believe the warning of Scripture about the power of sin, if you desire to keep the flames of your love for Jesus hot, you need to be serious about this kind of daily fellowship. And again, the fact that it says every day is why as important as it is, what we're doing right now is, is, is important, it's not enough. What we're doing right now is not enough. Don't think you're being faithful to this passage either if you just kind of show up late, sing a few songs, listen to the message, and then bug out as fast as you can. That's not fellowship. That's not Christian exhortation. That's not what our text is talking about. This is why I haven't said it a whole lot lately, but especially when I first got here, and I know Pastor Dan has said this many, many times, but this is why we say we want to be a church of biblical counseling, not a church with biblical counseling. What do we mean by that? We mean that we see a difference between formal counseling and informal counseling. And we see a difference between counseling that happens in a corner office versus counseling that happens in the everyday conversations that we have with each other as you walked in this door and as you walk out, yes? But counseling is happening all the time. And we are super thankful and so glad that we're able to offer to our community, free of charge, to anyone and everyone, formal counseling by competent, Christ-centered counselors, trained biblical counselors who want to listen and love and share their lives and the scriptures with you in a way that we hope brings, despair, brings light to darkness. We're super thankful for that. We're glad we're able to offer that, and that that's happening a lot. In fact, we're averaging anywhere from 10 to 15 counseling cases a week, and we rejoice in that. But that's not all it is. We don't just want to be a, a church that offers biblical counsel. We want to be a church of biblical counsel. We want to be a church where every single one of us are trained and equipped and competent with the scriptures so that we're able to informally counsel one another all the day long in all our conversations, whether we're here at church, at home, or somewhere in between. That's our goal. Our goal was never just to have formal counseling. Our goal was to be a church of biblical counseling. So the question before every single one of us is, we're all counselors. If we're interpreting the scriptures right, every single one of us in this room is a counselor. Is your counseling what? Biblical. Is it scripture saturated? Is it God's truth or the world's truth? <clears throat> now, I told you at the beginning of this, this message that everyone in this room who names the name of Christ should be able to lead others to Christ, help new believers grow in Christ, and help Christians who are struggling with issues. That's the kind of culture we want here, and that's what we mean when we say a church of biblical counseling. And maybe you're sitting there thinking, well, that sounds great. That's wonderful. I'd love to do that. I don't know how. And that's exactly why on Wednesday nights, very soon, uh, not, not this Wednesday, but soon, just, just be watching for announcements of that through the newsletter on Sunday mornings, but very soon, we want to be launching what we're calling Orangeville Institute. And that's Wednesday nights, where we want to be offering life classes for the community, but also we want to be offering deep discipleship classes, and one of those will be training you, training all of us, how to do exactly that, how to lead the lost to Christ, how to help new believers grow in Christ, and how to help those who are struggling with sin to overcome that. 
And if you want that, if you long for that, if, if you want to learn how to put Hebrews 3.13 into action, then start coming on Wednesday nights. And start putting it into practice. Start learning how others change. Start learning how to speak the truth in love. That's the kind of culture that we want here. And we want to be training and equipping and engaging our church body to know how to do this. Uh, this, this is also why, because we're serious about this kind of culture, this is also why we created what's called Equip to Engage. Uh, Equip to Engage is a more recent thing we've been doing over the last, uh, I don't know, maybe six months. I might not quite be right, but somewhere along that timeline. Equip to Engage, there's more information about our website, but that's, that's a small group, a smaller small group, of three to five individuals, of the same gender, meeting once a week for roughly an hour, to do exactly what Hebrews 3, 12, 13, 14 is talking about. To meet together for an hour, to pray for each other, to encourage each other, to memorize scripture together, and, and talk about scripture together. If you'd like to be a part of one of those, there are a couple of them starting very soon. Just, just let me know, we'll get you plugged in. But this is also why, and you had to know I was going here, this is also why we have growth groups. Growth groups is our word for small groups. And we call them growth groups because we wanted to be the purpose of them obvious. So the purpose of growth groups should not be lost on any of us. The purpose of growth groups or small groups is that we grow, that we grow in Christ, that we become more like him, but also we grow in number as we are on mission for the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, so these groups uh, meet in various homes and locations throughout the week. There's information about that on the front page of the bulletin, also on our website. But here's what a typical growth group looks like, and, and they're all, they all have their own personality. <laughs> uh, so this, this is the general framework. Uh, <clears throat> what the groups do is this, we do life together. So the group typically eats together, plays and has fun together, celebrates important events together, weeps together, walks with each other. We also study scripture together. That's imperative. If we didn't do that, we're no different than a social club. We don't want to be a social club. We want to be focused on God's word, which brings transformation. So the Bible study is discussion based on the sermon. Discussion on the sermon, not critique of the sermon. That would take all night. But it's discussion of the sermon with the aim towards life change and application. They're not another time to hear another sermon. They're time to rehearse the sermon and say, hey, here's how I need to change and grow and be more like Christ because of what I heard. What does James say? That if you hear the word of God and don't do it, you are what? You're deceived. We need to hear God's word and then gather with brothers and sisters in Christ and pray for each other and encourage each other. Hey, here's how I need to change. Here's where I need help. Here's where I'm struggling. Also in these groups, we pray and encourage one another. These groups are places where physical, spiritual, and emotional needs are specifically and consistently addressed. These groups also do mission together. God designed us to be on mission for his glory, and our mission is to saturate Barry County with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So knowing this, we ask our groups to engage in mission projects as much as possible. So I'm just trying to help you see that all these things that we're doing, even our discipleship pathway, believe, belong, become, build, it's all in the framework of trying to create this kind of atmosphere trying to be a means. I, I fully acknowledge you can come to church on Sunday, you can go to Equipped Engage, you can come to growth groups, all these different things, and not have this kind of fellowship. What I'm saying is that needs to stop. Now we all, in light of what we've heard this morning, 
need to be engaged with these things because we recognize that my spiritual welfare and the spiritual welfare of my brothers and sisters in Christ depends on this. So because we love the Lord and we love one another, as painful as it can be, as awkward as it can be, as difficult as it can be, I'll, I'll be the first one to admit, there's, I lead a growth group and there's nights I don't want to go to growth group. <laughs> but I go, partly because it's, I have to, because I'm not there, it doesn't run, but also because I know I need it. I need it. I need that fellowship. I need that exhortation daily, not once a week. What a text, huh? Let me read it again. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. All God's people say, amen. Amen. We're going to close with, come thou found. So I asked the praise team to do that song because of the one phrase that's in it. Uh, I mean, the rest of it's really good too, but the part that was in my mind was where it says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the one I love. That fits pretty well with our text, huh? We're prone to wander. Maybe you feel that this morning. And again, we're glad you're here, glad for the fellowship, and glad for the grace that is found that way.